Thanks, Naomi. Uh, just going to jump straight into this. If you have or can access a Bible, please turn to uh, Revelation 5. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week as we kind of step back into that worship service in heaven, in present reality, where there is a throne and there is a seat of ultimate power and authority of rule and of reign, and it is a throne that is occupied. As we thought about last week, it's occupied by God, who according to Revelation 4 is five things. He's holy, he's worthy, he's almighty, he's eternal, and he is the creator, and therefore we worship. And round that throne are these four living weird creatures and 24 elders, but it's not their identity that we're so concerned about, it's their activity. They are lost in wonder, love, and praise 24-7, and so we worship. From the throne, lightning discharges, thunder crashes, which reminds us that we are in the presence, and we are constantly in the presence of sheer and awesome greatness, and so we worship. And before the throne, before the control center of the universe, is the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit, and a sea of glass that is as smooth as crystal, meaning, or possibly meaning, that before the throne of God, even chaos is under control. Even chaos is subdued, and so we worship. Well, that is where we were last week. It's actually where we still are, present reality. Now, for anyone who's visiting, and I do realize there's quite a number this morning, we as a church are currently reading our way through Revelation, keeping in mind and keeping at the forefront of our minds two things. The first is, it is all about Jesus. The first line in the first chapter reads this. Chuck's if I can have an excellent how this one isn't working, I don't think. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the reason that we are reading this together is to know the next one, please, Chuck, is to know Christ better and to follow him better. That's the reason we're doing this, because it's all about Jesus. And this morning, we're going to come to a revelation of Jesus that takes this kind of knowing and this following to a whole other level. But the second thing to keep in mind is that this is a letter written to a specific church or set of churches at a specific time in a specific place. It was written to a bunch of Christians who were under intense pressure to abandon their faith, to conform, to pack it in, and to get with the program. And therefore, Revelation is written to help them. To help them see that things, if we can have the next one, Chucks, things are not as they seem or not only as they seem. There is way more going on. And so as I say, there is a throne. There is this heavenly throne. There isn't just the throne in the Roman Empire that Domitian at this stage in time is sitting upon, but there is an ultimate throne that is occupied by the ultimate God who is in control. And so a key thing that we need to keep in mind as we read this is that this is a letter written. It's one letter written to a group of churches to help them, to challenge them, to inspire them, to form them, and to conform them. 
And so with all that in mind, it's actually a discipleship manual, as we've been saying. And with all that in mind, let's get back to that worship service and let's see what we can see, what we absolutely need to look at and behold, if we can have the next one, Chuck's for me. So let's stand together as we read Revelation 5. We can just have the next couple of slides there, guys. It'd be great. There we go. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Please do have a seat. I said last week that this image of a throne in chapter 4 becomes a kind of dominant image for the rest of Revelation. In fact, when you read from Revelation 4 right to the very end, throne is mentioned 47 times. But here in chapter 5, we're now introduced to the second supreme image, which is in fact the central and the centering image. It is the focal point of revelation. And seeing it and coming to terms with it, if that is even possible, alters everything. Alters everything for us, for everyone, for the entire created world in order. And we're going to get to that second supreme image in a moment, although I know some of you are already there. So God is on the throne. And in his right hand is potentially, possibly, probably, his plan for the restoration of the world. 
His plan to rectify what is wrong. His plan to judge and to save and to sort out this sealed scroll written on the front and on the back contains what appears to be an account of what God has determined regarding the destiny of the world. And John hears a strong angel. I'm not entirely sure why it has to be a strong angel. But anyway, John hears a strong angel asking a critical question. The next slide, please. Or the one before. There we go. We're working again. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seven seals? Who is worthy to unfold history? Turns out no one. No one anywhere can do this. And so John breaks down. He can't bear the thought that this world, his world, is going to somehow miss out. Is going to be left in a mess and condemned and hopeless. And although the scene in Revelation appeared so hopeful, so incredible, now there's genuine tears of grief and disappointment, tears of despair. I wonder do we sometimes look around at the state of our world and feel like crying. At this point, one of the 24 elders pipes up and issues two instructions. The first, stop crying. He tells John, weep no more. And then the second instruction or a command actually to be more accurate is one that we keep hearing. It's a command we keep bumping up against. It is, in fact, the major exhortation, the major command in the book of Revelation. And what is it? It's there in verse 5. Look, behold, feast your eyes on this. Focus. And what is it John is to look at? The Lion of Judah, or the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And those two images of a Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David are explicit references to the Old Testament promises regarding the coming of the promised one, the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. They're from Genesis 49 and from Isaiah 11. And therefore, he is the one, Jesus is the one, the promised one. He is the one who's going to open the scroll. He's the one who's going to determine history. And so the lion has, as the elder has declared, the lion has overcome, the lion has conquered. And this is an incredible moment. And so John turns around to do what he's been told to do, to look and to behold, to see this roaring lion. But in one of the most decisive moments in all of Scripture, John sees something unbelievably and shockingly different. Instead of a ferocious lion, he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, throat slit, covered in blood. It's perhaps one of the most mind-wrenching rebirth of images in literature. The vision John receives and now describes for his readers and for us, 
It's not what anyone would suspect. The lamb has conquered. And I saw a lamb. Church, let us take a moment. Let us pause and with the mind's eye, I invite you to look. Allow that image to come in to razor sharp focus. And I know there is more to this instruction that I'm about to suggest, but fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. The Lamb, as if slain. The lamb conquers by being killed. He triumphs by being slaughtered. The lamb overcomes by sacrificing himself. And in a second, as further worship explodes in heaven and in present reality, we gain further insight about this fact. But there's more to this visual image of the lamb that John sees. And there's no doubt that when you first read it, it can leave you confused or reeling because we discover, verse 6, that this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Luke, church. Horns, symbols of strength. Eyes are the picture of wisdom. And seven, as we've been saying all along, and we know is the number of completeness in essence. And therefore, what this vision, what this image communicates is that the lamb has all strength. The lamb has all knowledge, all insight, all understanding. Behold the Lamb. Strong. Knowledgeable. But notice where the Lamb is standing. And please, in case we've missed this, the Lamb is alive. It's as if slain. The slaughtered and resurrected Lamb is now standing, but where? Where is he standing? Look at verse 5 with me. He is standing at the center of the throne. He's encircled by the four living weird creatures, the 24 elders. And if you were here last week, what does that mean? It means that Jesus stands at the center of creation. Jesus stands at the center of redeemed humanity. Jesus is the focal point. It is all about Jesus. And this lamb who stands in the center takes the scroll. He is clearly the one who is able to unfurl history, to enact the restoration of the world, to express God's heart. And therefore, it's no wonder that whenever the lamb takes hold of the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders hit the ground. They fall down before the Lamb, and three explosions of worship are ignited from the inner circle, from the outer circle, and from beyond the circles. I'll explain that in a second. But did you notice what the 24 elders are holding? Each has a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. In other words, we're in on this. We are in on this. We're not spectators. 
We're participants. We are part of this worship. We're part of present reality. As someone has written, the heavenly scene is umbilically related to the earthly. We're not spectators. And isn't it incredible, maybe some of us need to hear and be reminded of this today, especially if our understanding and our practice of prayer has become pedestrian or has become reduced or erratic or actually has just disappeared altogether. We need to be reminded that the ordinary, faithful, humble prayers of Christians here on earth right now appear in heaven as fragrant, sweet-smelling incense. Is that how you see prayer? Is that how you understand the part you play? The worship you're involved in? You see, things are not only as they seem. Prayer matters. Prayer affects. Prayer impacts. Prayer reeks. And in terms of the harps, I wonder if there's a similar thing going on that when we play and sing praise to God, that whenever we raise our voices in heartfelt praise, however tentatively and however out of tune, does our worship reverberate in heaven right now? And so those three explosions of worship, there's the inner circle. The four living creatures and the elders sing a new song now to the Lamb now. Worthy are you to take that scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. The reason the Lamb is worthy to rescue and restore, the reason the Lamb is worthy to open that scroll and to unfurl God's plan is because he was slain. It's because he died. It was because he was sacrificed. And in a similar way to how the blood of sacrificial lambs in Egypt back in Exodus purchased and ransomed and rescued and rescues people out of slavery, the blood of this Lamb, the blood of Jesus has purchased and has ransomed and has rescued and rescues people from God. But not just now from one ethnic group. But to quote the lyrics of the inner circle from every tribe and language and people and nation, this is now a multicultural family. But more than that, this is now a kingdom and priests. Again, we are in on this. Because what do these guys sing? We reign with him on earth. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that you are currently reigning with Jesus on earth right now? That this is present reality. That's what these guys sing. So we're not spectators this morning. We are participants. We have an active role here and now. And if you're struggling to process that, you're struggling to get your head around that, at the very least, worship. And then the second explosion ignites. And it comes from the outer circle. Verse 11, following thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 of them, lots of them burst into song, these angels. And they worship the lamb who is worthy, worthy to receive. And I'm sure some of you picked this up. I love this from verse 12. He is worthy to receive seven things. Well, of course, it's gonna be seven things. Power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. Jesus is worthy of complete worship. Total devotion. 
Don't hold back. Don't simply sing. Don't just go through the motions of another Sunday morning service. Join in the angel song right here, right now. But then there's this third explosion from beyond the circles. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. John hears a roar of acclamation from every created thing from every creature directed towards him who now sits on the throne. It's now directed towards God Almighty and to the Lamb. The same adoration that is due to God is now due to Jesus. And why? Because the Lamb who was slain now stands in the center of everything. And church, it's my prayer this morning for us that if we have lost focus on Jesus, if what we are about to do around this table in a few moments has become even close to routine, if you have forgotten or lost sight of the Lion of Judah who overcame and was victorious as the Lamb who was slain, then I invite and I urge and encourage us to catch a fresh glimpse of present reality. Look, behold. In the last verse, if you have it in front of you, of chapter five, we go back to the inner circle. And what's their ongoing response? Two things, amen, so be it. And total worship, why? Because they're back on the ground, faces down, prostrate. May that be our constant response. Amen. Full on worship. But just before I finish and hand back to Naomi, let me just mention a few implications of this image of Jesus' Lamb, which I know others have highlighted. For a start, we realize that at the center of reality is one who suffered. And so I know we're probably all familiar with the words of Isaiah. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was despised and he was rejected. And he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus suffered. At the center of reality is one who suffered. And who still bears the scars, or as a songwriter says, rich wounds yet visible above and beauty glorified. Jesus, the one who stands at the center of everything, understands suffering. Understands your suffering. Understands the suffering of this world. That's what this communicates. Look, behold a lamb as if slain. Secondly, at the center of reality is grace. Costly grace. Why did that lamb suffer? Why was he slain for the sake of us sheep? All we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord laid on him 
the mess of us all, the iniquity of us all. The Lamb goes to the cross because of us and for us. He who knew no sin became sin for you. Look, behold, the Lamb is if slain. The third thing this chapter clarifies is that we work from victory, not towards it. The Lamb is already on the throne. We are in a battle, the church is in a battle with the enemy and with the evil, but we're not in this battle to win it. We're in this battle because Jesus has already won it. It's only a matter of time until the war is over, but the final outcome is not up for grabs. Nothing can dethrone the enthroned. Look, behold, a lamb as if slain. And finally, the way to life and the way of life is the way of the lamb. It's servant love. It's love that lays down its life, that gives itself, that sacrifices itself for the sake of others. And that seems foolish and it seems weak, but as Paul, the Apostle Paul said about the cross, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that is why the Lamb has got seven horns and seven eyes. Because he is the power and wisdom of God. And therefore, the way of the Lamb is the most powerful and most wise way to live. And I know that some people prefer the image of the lion. They want to embrace that way of life. But the lion gets to the throne not by being a lion, but by being a lamb. And as Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to deny yourself. And so it's the way of life, and it's the way to life. Amen. Let's worship.